Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Joe Pokaski. Joe is the creator, showrunner, and executive producer of Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. Previously, he served as the co-creator, showrunner, and executive producer of Underground alongside Misha Green and was a writer and executive story editor on Heroes. He also co-executive produced Daredevil and CSI. He's also written Heroes tie-in products and a number of comics for Marvel Comics, including the 2008 miniseries Secret Invasion and Humans, and the last three issues of Ultimate Fantastic Four, which was part of the Ultimatum storyline. Joe, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you guys for having me on this uh, amazing show. Well, we're very excited to have you. We have had some showrunners on the show. We've had some comic writers on the show. I don't believe we've had showrunner comic book writers so we're excited to kind of maybe talk both of those things with you does that sound okay that sounds exciting i bet you've had showrunners that didn't admit they were comic book writers they were probably just being too coy but yeah there's such interesting similar and very different processes it'd be fun to talk about the two before we get into all that my first question is always where are you in the world i want to guess you're maybe in la somewhere but is that true I am in beautiful Pasadena, California, so L.A. adjacent, pretty close. Yeah, I feel like everyone, a lot of people making television have to make their way out here one way or the other. But you mentioned before the interview that you are originally from the East Coast, right? How did you make your way out there? Man, um, in the stupidest way possible. I grew up in Randolph, Massachusetts, and I know, you know, you grew up in a nearby town. And you probably know that when you grow up, you have no idea that anyone can work in television. You're just like, someone writes cheers, good for them. You should be a lawyer. And so I kind of grew up, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family. And, and I think I dipped my toe into working in advertising, which I thought was as creative as you could work in. And then I was lucky enough to meet my wife or the woman who would become my wife. And she kind of smacked me on the back of the head. And she's like, what do you really want to do? And I said, I want to write for television. So she kind of helped me get my act together and focus on that. And so I went to graduate school, which was, you know, a lot of money for not not necessarily a lot of education, but it kind of tore me away. And we moved to Los Angeles, and um, I was very fortunate and very stupid enough for good things to happen to you to end up, you know, working television. And then, as far as that trajectory to get to that point, what did that look like? Where did you even start to begin? Walk us through all those steps to get to the point where you're a showrunner for a major TV show. I mean, I think the first thing was stepping away from an advertising you know, career I had, in which I was finally making you know real money down to uh, to taking my first job as a PA on a show called Crossing Jordan. I believe my base pay was $18,000 a year. And I remember when um, when I was offered the job, the person offering me it was said, are you sure you want to do this? And if I was a smarter person, I probably would have said no. But unfortunately, I was stupid. Almost every kind of advance I've made in my career is because I'm too stupid. And so I was very lucky enough to just end up with a good boss, Tim Kring. So I was a PA for a while. I was his assistant when his assistant, you know, kind of went on his own way. And then um, 
I was fortunate enough to just kind of like be kind of an overeager worker and do what I can for the show. And when the right opportunity came, I asked him to read, I think it was a CSI spec and he read it. He let me do a freelance and it was just kind of that whole being present, being helpful thing that I try to tell other people. And, you know, I wrote an episode, we shot it. It was one of those situations where the season had kind of, it was late in the season, so everyone had things to do, so they kind of let me produce it, even though I had never done that before, and it turned out well. So then, you know, Tim had been encouraged by what I did there, and he started creating this new show called Heroes. And Tim, on the other hand, had never, I don't think he even read a comic book in his life. But he was really interested in the genre and kind of shaking it up. So I was just outside his office, kind of fortunate enough to be the guy when he was like, you know, racking his head about something, he'd come out and ask me, uh, Aaron Colite, who's, you know, he just created the great uh, Netflix show Daybreak. He was another assistant on the show and Tim just kind of bothered us. And we were so stupid. We thought, well, he's writing a pilot. We should start thinking about what the next few episodes are. Not really understanding that, you know, maybe one out of 10 pilots go to series. But we were dumb, and we just created this whole war room, and we tried to figure out what the series was, and Tim was very encouraging, and when the show got picked up to series, Aaron and I were brought on as writers. And it's just about kind of working hard, making your episodes good, helping people in the room, and, and just, I don't think I'm cut out for a lot of jobs, but this one just fun, and it comes relatively naturally. As far as process, we usually frame our episodes around different themes. As I mentioned earlier, we've interviewed showrunners, we've interviewed comic book writers. I would love to dive into writing for TV, writing for comic books, comparing those art forms and how they're similar and how they're different. Are you cool to school us on that? Yeah, that'd be great. Where do you want me to start? We always start at the inception of an idea. If we want to use Cloak and Dagger as the example, would you say that's your most recent TV work? Yeah, absolutely. We'll focus on Cloak and Dagger, I guess, on the TV side. I guess we could use any of your comics, but is there one in particular that... We can talk about Secret Invasion and Humans, because I think that was kind of... They both had a similar path, and honestly, to uh, to give full credit to one human being, I think I wrote both of them because of Jeff Loeb. He was also a writer on Heroes, a really great guy, and a friend of mine. And so, I'll tell the comic book story real quick, is we were, um, I think we were in the second season of Heroes... We were doing well. Uh, people started paying attention to the show. Because nobody nobody thought it was going to be kind of as big as it was. And then, of course, because good things were happening, there was a writer's strike. And I had just had a baby, and I was like, this is the end of my career. And they came in, and they told us to go home, put the pencils down. And I had this, I don't have a very good poker face in any situation. So I had this just really distraught look on my face, I learned. And I, I went home, and a couple days later, um, I get this call from Jeff Loeb, you know, who's kind of like an uncle to me. And he said, so I saw your face when they announced the strike, and I made a call to Joe Casada and Dan Buckley, and they've got a few comic books that, you know, we need to write for these events. How would you like to, to write comics for Marvel Comics? So it was one of, the, one of the most benevolent things ever done for me in my life, and I'll never forget <laughs> Which is where the Ultimate Fantastic Four and the Secret Invasion of Humans stuff happened. And then fast forward, I think probably three or four years to Jeff being the head of Marvel Television and him saying, you know, I've just got this staple of kind of these characters. They're not all major. Daredevil's spoken for right now. Is there anyone you want to look at? And I said Candy and Tyrone. I always loved Cloak and Dagger as a big Spider-Man guy growing up. And this was six or seven years ago. 
I wrote a cloak and dagger script for Jeff for what was called ABC family. And, um, nobody at ABC family or Marvel was ready to work together then. And then five years later, someone dug up that script and they called Jeff and they're like, why didn't we make this? And we, had, <laughs> we had kind of the crazy, you know, mythical second chance, you know, for someone dusting something off in a drawer. And, um, it was exciting. It was exciting to be able to revisit it. It was exciting to be able to do it after I worked on Underground because I think my writing and my insights probably broadened a little. So both of them, you know, you have to give a big hand up to Jeff Lowe. So for both of those, you know, for the comics and, and for working on Cloak and Dagger as an example, you're working with a pre-existing IP for Marvel Comics. So in the case of that Cloak and Dagger script that you had written, how did you choose what content from the comics to adapt into that uh, script for TV. And similarly, when you were writing, let's say the first Invasion book that you were working on, how do you choose what's going to be in the comic as opposed to pulling things that already exist? Yeah, I mean, I think the beauty of kind of Marvel television was, particularly with Cloak and Dagger, they were kind of looking for a different angle. I don't know if you're familiar with the comic, but the original was, it was kind of progressive for the time, but also in a weird way, you know, a little bit racist and sexist after time had passed. So we were kind of trying to take this story that was originally about heroin addicts in New York City and kind of distill the heart of it. So one of the things we thought, you know, and Jeff and I kind of hit this very early was we should move it to New Orleans. You know, there was a great tax credit going on in New Orleans at the time, which was helpful. Um, but also all the superheroes, you know, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Spider-Man for that matter, everyone was defending New York and it felt like another place would kind of give it its own identity. And then, you know, I have to give Marvel a lot of credit. They, you know, I told them I wanted to reverse, you know, originally Tandy Bowen, who plays Dagger, you know, who is Dagger, was rich and she was from a well-off family. And Tyrone Johnson was, you know, he was more from the neighborhood, didn't have a lot of money to scratch together. And that felt kind of dated too. So they allowed me to switch that, making Tyrone a little more well-off, making Tandy more poor and destitute. And it'll allow us to kind of shine a different angle. So for Cloak and Dagger, aside from their superpowers and the relationship, the friendship, this bond of, of finding your best friend, we changed a lot. Similarly, as far as canon and, uh, I guess, continuity, since you were adapting those, would you say those worlds had their own continuity, so to speak? And once you're kind of working within that, are you working with someone from Marvel who's working with you? on the continuity side saying, oh, we should definitely include this. We should not include that. Where was that? Yes. Yeah. At least, at least one person, you know, Jeff, Jeff has an encyclopedic knowledge. Megan Thomas Bradner, who worked at Marvel has a lot of them. She might've read every Marvel comic or she at least knows every character. So I think, I think both of them are, um, both of them are just, were really good resources for what we could do, what we couldn't do, what they were doing on other shows. You know, we were fortunate enough to, reference you know misty night and and make these kind of sly looks towards rocks on and things we couldn't but they um nobody's more on top of it than marvel with their ip so they were very they weren't inflexible but they're on top of it were there any conversations when you were working on it in the very beginning as to how it might fit eventually or tie into all the other shows and, and films that are happening obviously it's a big world there were some but you know to be honest i kind of me and my writers knew that was about seven levels above our pay grade, whether or not the <laughs> TV shows. So what we tried to do is we, we tried to create something good in its own right that 
if anyone anything wanted to invite it into you know invite into the world we always knew we wanted to do a runaways crossover because we're all kind of in the same family we're we're young kids we tried to make sure we watched that show kept our rules similar and you know we were very fortunate that this year Cloak and Dagger were able to go on to the runaways for a couple episodes and that was that's fun that's kind of the fun of comic books for me tell us about the actual writing process we already kind of kicked this episode off, but usually when I talk to a showrunner, I ask them to kind of define in their own words for those who aren't listening, what a showrunner does. Cause obviously you're an executive producer as well. You're a writer. So tell us kind of what that is for those who are listening. If this is the first episode they've listened to and aren't familiar with showrunners kind of what it is and what it means. Man, I think you were just, you know, as the shit rolls downhill, you're the person who catches it all, I guess is one way of looking <laughs> at it. Um, no, I think, I think you're, you're, it's a weird, grandiose term, but it kind of works because you're really in charge of every aspect of the show. So for me, and I like that, I'm a bit of a control freak. So, you know, from the beginning, you're you're writing the series Bible, you're writing the pilot episode. If it goes straight to series, you're writing multiple scripts. Then you run the writer's room um, as much as you can before other things start rearing their head. Then you're in charge of casting, in charge of hiring department heads in charge of making sure everything's on budget in charge of picking all your directors in charge of informing all your directors what the style of the show is so basically you're doing as much as you possibly can in every single category and then if you're smart which sometimes i am and sometimes i am not you're finding people you can trust to handle the things you can't handle at the time so that's where you know we on cloak and dagger pete calloway was my number two he ran the room when I couldn't be in there. So it would be about talking with Pete, talking with the rest of the room about kind of what we wanted to do and being able to leave the room and have these, you know, these brilliant ideas that these guys had, you know, some of which completely resonated with what we were doing. Every once in a while, they would not, and we'd have to rethink it. But it's really just about kind of, it's like being a parent to the show. You can't take your eye off any part of it. Tell us about the writer's room itself. Obviously, writing TV differs from writing comics how does that uh experience differ when you're writing a comic obviously it's a little bit more of a solitary experience or you're working with a an artist and an editor would you say there's similarities though i think so i mean it's it's funny when you writing comics i have to say is and i hope i don't get in trouble for saying this for me it's a little tougher than writing for television because you have to do a little bit more of the work you write you write a script for television at least a good one and you've got a director to kind of help lift you up. You've got a director of photography. You've probably got about, you know, somewhere between five and 30 people who will interpret it and elevate the material. And like you said, when you're writing a comic, you basically have an artist and an editor. And so it's a, it's a one-on-one conversation with the artist. So I don't know if you're familiar with the greatest book ever written, which is Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics. I would suggest picking it up. It's kind of amazing. It's basically a comic book that explains in almost a Marshall McLuhan type way how comic books are written and how how your eye interprets each image and the space in between it and kind of the visual language. It's the, it's the first book someone gave me when I told them I was going to write a comic book. And it's really amazing. There's no equivalent of it for television, but it tells you a lot of things. Like, for example, when you're writing a comic book and you're looking at a panel from left to right, your mind is interpreting the things on the left-hand side as happening earlier than the things on the right-hand side, which is why you can have the thing throwing the Hulk from left to right, and you understand the movement of action a little better 
on top of exactly what you can get away with in between panels for action or for whatever. And it's, it's kind of amazing how it just, it really kind of sets the stage for intently writing good comic books. I don't know if I've ever written good comic books, but it certainly gives you the tools, which is interesting. Television writing is a little different because it's a little more interpretive. You're writing scenes. You're certainly talking about entrances and exits and props and things like that. But then a director gets to come in and ideally elevate it and possibly, you know, change it and have a conversation about it. Whereas at least when I write comics and a lot of writers have better relationships with their artists where they let them cut free. But when I started writing comics, I was a little paranoid about making sure the left to right were on. And there was a little bit of directing and probably over directing I did for the artists. With television, you're allowed to be a little more free and let someone make it better. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writerexperience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. As far as the outline with TV, writer's room, you are plotting out the plot and the arcs across multiple episodes. And for a comic book, you're kind of doing similar things for either one book or a series of books. Would you say there are similarities between the two or are they very different no i think they're very similar i think and the, again this is um for a television show you generally have what 45 minutes on broadcast so you try to write a 48 page script for comics it's interesting because you get to control the time consumed a little more you have 22 pages and you get to determine exactly what's on what page you don't get to determine what's on what minute when you're working out a story so sometimes you can write something that's too long I don't think I've ever written anything that's too short. But, you know, for Secret Invasion in Humans, it was interesting. And it was this kind of cool opportunity because Brian Bendis was doing the Secret Invasion storyline, which was Skrulls have taken over half of our characters. They've been invading us this whole time. And I was going to take the Inhumans, who kind of started a little bit of a renaissance um, in the Marvel Universe. And I was able to write their version of what happened. So. The fun of it all is we knew we were going to do four issues. We knew we were starting with the fact that the Queen Medusa was going to learn that Black Bolt was a Skrull, and we knew we were leading into this big war. So basically, you know, comic 
issues for me are very much like episodes of television. So 10 episodes of Cloak and Dagger are fairly closely broken out in the same way that four issues of a Secret Invasion book would be. As far as the scripts themselves, we've talked a bunch about the difference between a feature film script and a TV script. I don't know if we've ever compared TV script and a comic book script. I know there's different types of comic book scripts like Marvel Method. Can you walk us through the differences and yeah, the actual script writing process? Yeah, you know what? I don't. I'm not sure I know all the methods that well. I kind of did. Um, I kind of did my own thing, and because I'd worked in television so long, I wouldn't be surprised that my comic scripts read like television scripts to some degree. I think. Um, I think the big thing is you know you're naming you're naming your pages and your panels, so you're really determining what each page. And it's probably the most different thing from a comic script to a television script, where in television you're writing scenes. You're saying this scene happens here. Sometimes you can suggest an opening image. When you're in editing, you don't necessarily have to have to really stick to it. But I think you know probably the biggest thing is really worrying about in comic books. You can overwrite the crap out of it. It doesn't matter. You can give more information to the artist. I remember Brian Bendis saying to me, "Just make sure you write. That there's like a hundred humans in the in this scene, and then your artist will just draw that." And so it's interesting that you know I don't know if you've ever seen Alan Moore's Watchmen script, but the guy wrote pages and pages about one panel and so you're allowed to kind of give a little more information without being without worrying about it turning into screen time necessarily and then as far as and this might be a little abstract of a leap here would you say that the filming production process for a tv show is similar to when a artist takes over and starts creating visually the words that you write as a comic writer it's hard i feel like that's probably the big difference and it's probably because I don't understand artists well enough. If you saw things that I tried to draw or scribble, it's embarrassing. So I think it's um, it's probably similar to a director determining shots and making shot lists. But it's bizarre because the artist has to do everything. The artist has to you know, kind of be director and showrunner once you give them the script because they have to pick the costumes. They have to decide you know, the colors. They have to decide you know, so many different things that normally a showrunner could make decisions on you really at some point it's a leap of faith where you and unfortunately have been able to work with great artists you hand them this document and then they go to town and you can make decisions about bubble placements and things like that later on but i guess to answer your question kind of except the artist has to do about 50 jobs that would normally be done in television and what about the editing obviously with a show the editing comes after you know the episodes have been shot editing in the comic book sense is kind of happening Earlier, as you're writing, I would imagine with the editor kind of going back and forth with you, is there any similarities between those phases? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, weirdly, it's kind of two stages where it is similar. The editor, I think, is probably similar to a studio executive, you know, someone like Jeff, who's telling you, this is great, we're doing this in another book, can we adjust this? You get kind of some high-end conversations or we'd love to mention this thing we did in this other book or you can't say this yet because nobody knows this and then the interesting thing and one of my favorite parts i really love editing television I spend too much time in the editing room and i like i like the idea that you can take something even if it didn't quite work 100 percent, and make it even better but word balloon placement once you actually get the art done you know something that really good artists are amazing at understanding where these word balloons are going to go and every once in a while, unlike television, you can change the whole entire meaning of the script by rewriting your script with the images actually there. So they're similar, but it's 
it's such a different beast and it's weirdly easier to control on the television side than it is once you have finished pages. When do you know for TV when the season is really wrapped up? And then as far as a series of comics, how do you know kind of the point at which you're really finished and ready to move on? And how do you know what's coming up next? That's really interesting. Well, with television, I can speak to television a little better. I think for television, you kind of want, you know, you want your season to be greater than the sum of the episodes you told. And so I think you want it to have its own arc. You want it to have its own kind of ups and downs. I enjoy ending on cliffhangers or at least on changing people's situations. So you understand the characters have been through a journey with both seasons of Underground and both seasons of Cloak and Dagger. It's been 10 episodes. You're able to control that pretty well. With comic books, you know, it's interesting because I've never worked on a continuing comic book series. The two things I really worked on were Secret Invasion, which was a four book, you know, a four book um, miniseries. And then the other thing they needed some help with was kind of landing the plane on the Ultimate Fantastic Four. And that was really fun because imagine watching your favorite TV show, you know, one of your favorite TV shows for 60 episodes, and then someone asked you to write the last three. So that was kind of bizarre. Cause they're like, it's time for these guys to go away. They were blowing up the universe or whatever they were doing. And it was a real cool opportunity to kind of look at this, you know, this different version of the Fantastic Four that I had been reading and saying, this is great, but you know what they never did? They never did this, or they never did that. So we got to play around. We got Sue to kiss Ben Grimm, which, you know, had never happened in either universe. And I have to give credit to the comic book writers that came after me because they kept them as a couple, which I thought was really sweet. And we got to, you know, you kind of get to land the plane. I think what I did was I broke them up because I'm a masochist, apparently. Say this, I, was, I forget which one that is. And it was interesting, but I think, you know, with comic books it's a, and, and with television, you're expected by, you know, corporate interests and by your fans to go forever. And it's interesting that the decisions, decisions being made as to how long shows go Sometimes they're corporate and weird, and sometimes they're just the fans saying this feels right. And I think, I think something really interesting to talk about one of the greatest comic book adaptations of, as of late was Damon Lindelof, you know, doing a season of Watchmen for nine episodes and then saying this was a beautiful thing. Here it is. It's like Alan Moore writing twelve issues of Watchmen and then walking away. So I'm actually very encouraged by the idea that things are ending a little earlier and not running forever. And I hope that trend stays because I think, as you know, you talk to writers more than I do. All writers are kind of restless, but we're also kind of loyal and competitive. So we'd write the same show for a hundred years if it meant, you know, sticking it to that girl who didn't go to the prom with us. The opportunity to uh, to just do like 20 episodes of something and then kind of walking away and exploring another part of your psyche is, is fun. As far as you mentioned, you can't talk about what you're working on next. You've worked on TV shows, you've worked on comics. Could we see films in the future? Is that yeah? I'm I'm just starting to dip my toe in that world. I, I um I've been very fortunate that since I started on Crossing Jordan, I've been working in television so much. But this last year, I directed my first episode of television on Cloak and Dagger, and I'm kind of interested in writing. I'm writing a couple scripts right now that, of course, I can't talk about because I'm me with the intention of perhaps directing them myself. So I'm writing them in a, in a relatively modest budget. I think it's, um, I think it's a world that I think the film world in a weird way is getting gigantic, but I think the smaller things, the parasites of the world are really inviting to tell kind of a smaller story that can kind of just play on a big screen. 
Joe, are you ready for something we'd call a series of seemingly random questions? Yes. In your Twitter bio, you describe yourself as an inefficient machine that converts coffee into TV. What does that mean? It means I don't function without coffee. And I imagine if you looked at one of those Rube Goldberg design machines in which coffee was poured up the top, and, you know, then there are a hundred things, including writing a Twitter bio or doing useless things like that. Eventually, television comes out after a lot of wasted energy. Second question. You had said that you had written an early pilot for Cloak and Dagger. For those aspiring writers out there who are thinking about maybe someday working TV or working for a Marvel TV show, would it be helpful to write a spec script? Is that even a thing? Do people do that anymore? What's the best way that a writer who wants to break into that world should go about writing something unique that they can kind of try to get made? Here's the interesting thing. We live in an interesting world where everyone should write as much as they can. There's all these weird debates that people are having on Twitter. I'm sure you're, you're up to the fact that people are like, should someone write an original pilot or should someone write a spec? Right. And I'm firmly in the camp of write both. Get off Twitter and write both. Every time you write, you get a little better. Every time you write, you learn something more about yourself. Every time you write, it gets a little bit easier. But I also think we live in an interesting world where if someone had an idea for an original, I've been telling people to get to find an artist and make a comic book. I think there's so there's something in the world right now where IP makes people feel safe. You know, and there are these large corporations throwing millions of dollars around. And if you can show them something that's proof positive of an idea. And the other thing I've been adding to that lately is podcasts. I think, I think, you know, a comic book, you can find an artist, perhaps collaborate with and make a comic book, but a podcast, you know, you can make, and you can tell a story by way of it in a reasonable way. You know, Orson Welles once said filmmaking is the only art where the artist can't afford his tools. And I don't think that's true as much as it used to be anymore. Next question is a random one. We're going to go out on a limb and ask it anyway. Okay. For your future TV show, you know, show running experiences, when you are hiring directors, we happened to interview a director by the name of Jonathan Frakes, who was an okay. actor, Star Trek The Next Generation. He's a really good director, too. Yeah. The question is, he was an actor before he was a director. Do you think that that experience helps him? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying it makes him better than a director that wasn't an actor, but, you know, from my own experience, having just directed exactly one hour of television now, the idea of having the perspective of understanding where someone's coming from, particularly an actor, of course, it gives him an advantage to, he's been talked to by what, 200 directors by the time he stepped behind the camera. So he gets to watch, you know, if he's paying attention, he gets to watch how other people do it. He knows how he feels when someone gives him a line reading instead of an idea. So I imagine um, the interesting thing about directing is I'm hoping that people start taking more chances on people who are coming from other disciplines a little more. Because there, one of my costume designers would be a great director. Some, I'm always surprised because I've worked with a couple of directors of photography who would be fantastic directors. So I think any bit of experience helps in acting, you know, that takes away half the job when he understands that process a little better. My next question, what is one piece of advice or learning from your career, if you could pass along to the writers who are listening right now, what would you say? You know what? One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was be kind. 
there's a lot of times we get so wrapped up in telling our stories that things get heated. And all the people I want to work with, again, were always nice and were always kind. And it's a silly town. There's a lot of high stakes and a lot of people take things personally. But just be a nice person and people will remember that, I swear to God. The last question, drumroll, please, please hand me the envelope. Wow. Opening it. The last question is, did you have fun today on the Writer Experience Podcast? This was an absolute blast. I'm sorry I don't know how to use Skype well enough. <laughs> but yeah, it's again, I'm probably qualified for two or three jobs in society. Uh, writer is one of them. So I'm always fortunate that I get to do it. And I always love talking about it. It was great. And it was nice to talk to someone from the South Shore as well. Well, thank you again, Joe. And thank you for listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.